Well, amidst the clicking of the photographers, if you listen carefully, you could hear the grunts of three giants of the natural world being released into the English countryside in Kent last month. They're the first wild bison to roam Britain for thousands of years. European bison came within a whisker of extinction less than a century ago, and they've only survived thanks to captive breeding and the practice of rewilding in places like Poland, Slovenia, Romania and Germany. Rewilding involves the reintroduction and resurgence of species in the wild, including the big herbivores and the carnivores, like wolves. It's essentially about giving nature space again. One of the major organisations involved in this work is Rewilding Europe, which manages reserves in Scotland, Romania and Portugal and Ukraine, to name a few. Franz Geppers is the Executive Director of Rewilding Europe and I welcomed him earlier to Saturday Extra. Yeah, hello. Nice to speak to you in Australia. (laughs) What is it like for you personally to see bison roaming through a European forest? Well, that's, um, I mean, knowing that the species was nearly extinct, they only survived in captivity, not in the wild. And as you were just explaining, we, we were left with only 50, 50 odd animals in Poland in the zoo. And, and that was in 19, sort of 1927, 1928, I think. That was the, sort of the, the, the all-time low. And, uh, and now we are heading towards 10,000 European bison back, not all in the wild, but the majority, and releasing animals like this. I mean, I've, I've done it a number of times, and it's just unbelievable to see you you might expect they will just run out of the truck and then they they just just go off but they come out very calm they sniff they eat the soil they sort of want to get sense of the place and then they just walk away easily and and it's a wonderful sighting and um it's it's very symbolic it feels like look you know we can we can do something uh, something good we can bring animals back that were uh, were gone for a long time it's a positive story and it, it provides a perspective and and hope and in um, particular also for the people who live in that who live in that area yes well indeed if you if you look at the video of those bison that's precisely what they did they sort of sussed out their new environment and then calmly got on with it they're known as a keystone species aren't they and there are others yes. like this and apart from being important in their own right Uh, Maybe you could help us understand what role does bison play as a keystone species in the landscape? Well, Europe, just like Australia and Africa, used to have large mammals um, roaming in big numbers. And lots of people think that, you know, sort of climax vegetation is forest. But that was uh, that picture comes from a, a period in time where people thought when actually all the large mammals were already gone, hunted by by the hunters and gatherers that, that came before agriculture took place in Europe. But those animals are, we call them ecosystem engineers because of their, just like elephants in Africa, and they, they are uh, big mammals that can change landscapes. And that's a keystone species and because through that, they create space, a myriad of habitats and, and spaces for, for thousands of other species. So, so they, they sort of, sorry to interrupt, but they sort of act as this gorgeous phrase, they're the nature's woolly bulldozers. They keep the forests under control. They carve corridors. They rub yeah. vegetation, all of that, don't they? Yeah, but I wouldn't call them bulldozers because that sounds a bit like they're just uh, running over things. They are the finest engineers you can think because they create these little little different habitats from, you know, the places where they wallow in the sand or the, in the soil up to, indeed, they debark trees. And, you know, rewilding 
uh, it's not about keeping things under control. It's about allowing nature to take its own shape, not steered by people. So we don't see bison as a as a machine like our our, our beldors even. Mm. We see them as a natural element of a functional ecosystem and, and landscape. So they play their role and benefit other species. And um, now we are lacking most of those large herbivores in Europe. We used to have wild horse. We used to have the auroca, which is the mother of all cattle in the world. Uh, we used to have lots of bison. We have so the large grazing animals have virtually disappeared, and we are bringing them back now into these landscapes because lots of the species, maybe the majority of our biodiversity, you talk about insects, reptiles, birds, butterflies, you name it, they are dependent on these sort of half-open mosaic landscapes that these large herbivores create. Mm. And so anything from bare soil up to closed canopy forest, and 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 everything in between is where, where all the richness is in in Europe's biodiversity. Diversity and, and of course, also in other places on Earth. I mean, it is marvellous listening to you speak like this and the fact that the numbers are growing so much. And this reintroduction of bison and bears as well, it's part of this broader rewilding approach. Maybe you could outline it, please, because it's certainly... In my recent trip to the UK, I realised it was, it was really gathering pace as an idea... Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's just important to say um, that we're not reintroducing, there's no reintroduction of bears or wolves or any of the large carnivores, because the, the, the wonderful and great thing is that they're expanding on their own and they're recolonizing places. So I live in a small country called the Netherlands, and we had the first wolves back in 2015, and, and now we have around 15 animals. And just this week, uh, a new den was discovered with three pups. They're reproducing here, and, and, it's, and this is the story about Europe. We see wildlife come back happening on its own, mostly. Well, tell us a little more, if you would, about the Rewilding Europe projects. I'd love to know about some that you're running in quite remote parts of, say, Romania and Bulgaria and even Italy, for instance. Yeah, I'm happy to do so. So um, one of the key sort of flagship uh, landscapes that we work is in the southern Carpathians. So that's in Romania. The Carpathians are some of, some of the wildest mountains in Europe we have, uh, stretching from Ukraine uh, into further south into Romania and, and Slovakia, Poland, up to Serbian border. That's a, a big landscape where there is thousands of bears and wolves. And, and Eurasian lynx, so it's a very a sort of a, a big core area for wild nature in Europe. But the bison, which used to roam there for you know hundreds of thousands of years, was gone um, since 200 years, and we brought it back. And this was not just you know an easy process; it took years of preparation because this is all about you know the people that live there. Uh, so it took a number of years where we found this municipality which said, yeah, we want this animal back. And, and when we looked into the feasibility of it, we actually found old Romanian names saying the Bison Valley and the Bison Bridge and the Bison Stream. So there was this connection. And, and actually we found um, rock paintings that were like uh, just a year, year before. Anyway, in 2014, we brought the first animals back and animals from different parts of Europe from breeding centers. And we released the first 15 females from Sweden, males from Italy. They teamed up nicely and, and it was a great success. And since then, we have sort of brought back every year. We had did uh, translocations of animals from different sources and trying to build up a free roaming wild population of bison, which is now over 100, uh, roaming that landscape. And it's just unbelievable and fantastic to see how, how they're doing, but also how the local communities are benefiting. Well, that was my next question, because yeah. often these animals have been hunted or poisoned and we've, of course, reduced their habitat. So how do you yeah 
you go about convincing local communities to coexist with them? Yeah, well, I always say rewilding is, is actually not so much about bringing animals back. It's creating a wilder landscape and providing new perspectives for people. Because in a lot of these places where we talk about, there is rural depopulation, young people move to cities, old generations stay be- behind. There's not much perspective in, in many places. And so this brings in sort of new dynamic, new energy. And we were lucky to find one place where the mayor turned out to be a vet and was very interested in this because he saw the opportunity big time and and that's where we started to talk with everyone and, and prepare for it. Look, I do understand though, like in France where the brown bear population is increasing after their reintroduction in the Pyrenees, it's a wonderful story, but yeah. there have been attacks on local sheep and even some humans. Um, I mean, it's easy to say we want to see these creatures back, but if you're living next to them, it may well be a problem. Yes, and and this is uh, this is all about coexistence. So we are not separating animals from people. That is impossible in Europe. Our reserves and national parks are too small to have viable populations, in particular of some of these larger animals. And, and this doesn't come without challenges, of course. And so people have to change their behavior. So if you think that you can leave out your sheep during the night while wolves are coming back, forget about it. People need, just like in the old times, bring sheep back at night and protect them and, and go out with a shepherd on, during the day. Then it's fine. We have those systems for, for, for thousands of years. But people have to shift their practice that they had developed without those animals around back to you know systems where there there is a possibility for coexistence and we have we have hundreds of examples how that can happen and um you know, the, the point of sheep farming is uh, is an interesting one because, I mean, economically, there is no damage. You know, we slaughter zillions of sheep every day in Europe. Mm-hmm. And if one is taken by a wolf or a bear, you know, it's all over the newspaper. <laughs> so it's very, very much about the emotion of it. Economically, it does. It's, you know, it's, it's a non-issue, but it's emotion. And they just don't want to accept that there's this animal back. I mean, I know that one of the your approaches is to make a new, almost like an economic viability and and vitality in some of these areas and thinking, uh, imagining and articulating that it might be a very good tourist attraction. But for instance, in that area with the bears, um, they could bring in particular dogs. I think they're called the patu, are they? Uh, The dogs um, uh, that did sort of protect in the past. But the the flock, but they can also be known to attack people. And this is causing a great deal of caution on behalf of the of the herders. Yeah, I have to say that, uh, I mean, when people talk about bears, people immediately think about the, the grizzlies and so on. In Europe, we have brown bear, which is the, mostly vegetarian. They eat grass and, and berries and all that. We have bear populations that have coexisted with people for thousands of years. And bears are very friendly. And, you know, in one country where we work a lot, was a thousand bears in, in Croatia, uh, where, of course, they record all the sort of human bear encounters. And at the, one of the recent figures I saw that there were like thousands of encounters and there was only one where there was a, an issue, which was a hunter that was, was around and, and hunting and the mother with cubs attacked the guy. But it, you have we have to be very careful to just say bears attack people because it's the same with wolves. People say wolves attack people or children. It has never happened in Europe. No proven case. And so... I understand there is fear, and I can imagine if you walk in the forest, there's bears around, there's fear. But the, the conflicts are more in um, in places where they start 
taking down uh, beehives and you know go for the honey and and this is where you can easily protect those beehives with small electric fences mm-hmm. but with humans uh, bears and wolves are afraid of people they just run away that's what happens unless they get cornered and they don't know what to do and they want to protect their cubs, then they, they might defend themselves. But uh, spontaneous attacks don't exist. Uh, look, how popular is it becoming then for travellers to visit some of these reserves run by rewilding Europe? There's a huge market for nature and, and, and wildlife-based tourism. I mean, we have, so Europe has, don't count European Russia, because then it would be like 25,000 brown bears. But so without European Russia, it would be 17,000. They are in Major populations are in Romania, Croatia, um, Slovenia, for, and, and so on. And there's bear watching tourism. You know, Europeans used to go used to go to North America to see bears. Well, they're just around the corner, and you can see them. You can photograph them. You can do bear bear hikes, bear watching. So it's a. In, in Finland, there's actually a huge economy around bear watching and bear photography, uh, next to wolves and uh, wolverine and other other carnivores and other species. So, let's say the sort of the wildlife economy and the wildlife watching is growing fast in Europe. And it's a drawcard for uh, for local economic development to have that wildlife around. So, and, and the economic value of wildlife, we know that from other parts of the world, is big, very big. Well, look, it's a wonderful story. Uh, Franz Gatis, yeah. thank you very much indeed for joining us. You're welcome. What a lovely job he's got. <laughs> Or passion, is it? Or vocation. Franz Scapers, the executive director and co-founder of Rewilding Europe. And there's a, an idea for travel, if ever there was one, if you want to get away from the hordes. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.